From the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes the next great true crime podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the events as they unfolded and how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you're going to love I Survived. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, PodcastOne.com, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So, who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, here with Sam Monson. Brought to you by Lysol. Not officially, no, but we are. Yeah. Taking precaution here. As is everything right now in the world. Yes, everyone take precaution, take care of yourself. We're going to talk some football because I think people still want to hear about football, but, you know, be smart out there, right? Yeah. PSA. Don't uh, don't panic, but, you know, wash your hands and stuff. How's the set evolving? It's like a new set every time we're out here. Oh, yeah, we got, we got like, uh, lights. We got the vertical screen. And lights. We got Mahomes. We got some different lighting. Yeah, this is good. We're coming along here. It is getting less and less like a shed, but it's still a little shed-like. <sighs> got some... Wood panels in the back, but we're getting there. A little half of Mahomes. Looks like he's just crotch-grabbing over my shoulder. That's true, it does. It's all good, though. It's great. We're coming along here. All right, so on Monday, if you're an AFC fan or an NFL fan, listen to our Monday podcast. We went and fixed every single AFC team in five minutes, give or take. This week, it's the NFC. We're going to go team by team, and, yeah, we'll give you guys like a five-minute fix, so to speak. Identify mm-hmm. the problems. Tell you how you're going to help your pass game because that's all we care about. Not completely, but we're going to tell you how you're going to help your pass game and win more football games. Free agency, draft, re-signings, the whole deal. Okay. Sound good? Yep. I got a timer here for you. All right. So let's start. In the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys, we have five minutes to fix the Cowboys. The first big question, what do you do with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, and by all accounts, Byron Jones, they're going to let him walk. So if we focus on Dak and Amari, how do we handle this situation for the Cowboys, Sam? I think they're in a really tough spot because, obviously, in an ideal world, you want to bring them both back because they're the two most important components in your passing game, which is everything in today's NFL. On the other hand, it kind of sounds – I mean, you know, it's, it's tough to judge given numbers that are reported and, you know, things that come out. But it sounds like they're offering Dak a lot of money already, and he's saying no more. Now, that's no comma more as opposed to no, no more. more. No more. I don't want any more. Yeah. Um, if that's true and he's, you know, genuinely looking for this, like, absurd, you know, record-breaking, phenomenal contract that would completely change everything, like, at some point you have to say, all right, look, you're good, you're really important to us, but you're not worth that. Like, this is actually a crippling amount of money now. Even with the notion of the salary cap going up with the next – like, all these kind of things, right, are factors into this. But at some point – too much is too much, and you need to figure out an alternative. And I don't know, like, what do you do at that point? Do you, what is your backup option 
if you're the Cowboys. So I think this is why it's important when we always talk about always finding the next quarterback and kind of like having the next guy on board. Yeah, because it's probably not Cooper Rush. Right, it's probably not. I mean, it could be Kellen Moore, still a believer Hmm. in Kellen Moore, that he could step in and, you know, be an NFL starter. But that's an aside. Um, It's a really tough spot to be in. I think ultimately maybe do they end up franchise tagging Dak? Yes. And then signing Amari. As best you know, we're trying to sign. They're talking Amari about potentially Cooper. using both tags, like the franchise tag on Dak, the transition tag on Amari, like whatever. They're keeping both those guys, whatever happens, even if it's only for a year. Well, okay, so let's assume that they do that and figure out the money situation. Then they go in to the draft or free agency and say, okay, we have to replace Byron Jones. He's the biggest name in free agency. Chris Harris is right behind him. The middle of the first round where they're going to be picking might not be a bad spot for Christian Fulton, the number two corner on the PFF board out of LSU. C.J. Henderson from Florida. Trevon Diggs could be in that mix out of Alabama. By our board, Jalen Johnson, Utah. So, I mean, there's some pretty good first-round caliber corners. But I hate going in and saying, here's this Byron Jones-level player. Oh, and we'll just replace it in the draft, even though it's a value pick. Right. I mean, for no other reason, you should never head into the draft with a giant glaring need, Right. So the Cowboys actually still have a ton of cap space. Now they're going to dedicate a bunch of that to the Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott thing, however that lands. But they should also be shopping in that reclamation project group of cornerbacks that we keep talking about, right? There's a ton of these guys that have talent but have, you know, warts or whatever, uh, stretch of poor play or something they need to come back from, whether it's a James Bradbury um, whether it's a Ronald Darby, whether it's a Bradley Roby, these are guys that have extensive quality play on their tape in the past, but there are various question marks. Jimmy Smith? Yeah, I mean, He's that's like, a short ter- shorter term option, I would say, but definitely a guy that could come in and do a job there. Jimmy Smith is, is going to be like my new Jason Verrett. Like, he hasn't been good yeah. for three years, hasn't been healthy for three years, but yeah, keep taking shots at Jimmy Smith. If they come out of the offseason with a... Ronald Darby, Jimmy Smith, James Bradbury, reclamation type, and a first-round corner to potentially replace. Not only just replace Byron Jones, the individual, but we keep saying, look, stock up on coverage players and all that stuff. So that's your way of stocking up. Bargain basement free agent plus perhaps a first-round draft pick. If Amari Cooper's back, pairing with Michael Gallup, you still Randall Cobb's gone, but you still want to add more weapons there. And it's a team that lost a lot of close games last year. Like, if they just brought the same team back, we could see them play at the similar level and, you know, be a pretty good team next year and actually make the playoffs. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, look, the, they made a coaching change because ultimately it was decided that like, you are, you've been underachieving too long with this group of players. Like, the talent on this roster is better than you've managed to draw out of it. Therefore, it's time to say bye-bye, Jason Garrett. Like, in theory, if you just replace the coach, you should be better, right? Because that was the reason the guy got fired in the first place. What if this best-case scenario, the Cowboys – Bring everybody back. They re-sign Byron Jones. You have you have Amari. You lock up Dak Prescott. What if they went your boy Denzel Mims in the first round out of Baylor? I would love that. I mean, I think Denzel Mims is one of the most underrated players in this draft. I think if it's just me, I might pick him as the third best wide receiver in this draft behind um, CeeDee Lamb and behind Jerry Judy. I think he's that good. I don't know that there are flaws to his game. That nothing gets me more excited than a wide receiver cl- a group, a trio that has three distinct skill sets that are valuable. Amari, great route runner, all levels. Mims, speed, deep threat ability. And, and Michael Gallup, as a, he was an uber, you know, a possession receiver, but, you know, got down the field a little bit. If you had those three guys to throw to, that's how you maximize Dak Prescott in the coming years. So, Dallas Cowboys, 
corner, you got to figure out those, the situation at corner and wide receiver. Spend that money to keep that group intact. Let's move on to the New York Giants sitting at number four in the draft. What do we think? The, what, what is the biggest need for the Giants this offseason? The entire defense needs help, but you also want to maximize what you have in Daniel Jones as well. You do. I, here's the thing. I think the Giants could go in a variety of different ways at number four because ultimately they're not that good right now. So it's, it's the classic example of being in both a good and a bad situation in terms of, well, it would be quite hard to mess up this pick because almost all of the players available at that point would help your roster dramatically. Of course, that's only true because your roster is not good. Right. So, you know, take your pick how you want to look at that. But I think it's a good thing, ultimately, because when you get to that point in the draft, you just want to draft the best player available, in theory, and hope that he's an immediate addition or upgrade on your roster, and it will be for the Giants. Whether best player available is like a whole podcast in itself. Right. But whether it's way. tackle, whether it's one of the top tackles, you know, whether it's and maybe Chase Young makes it to four, right? Maybe they take the best receiver on the board. Whatever it is they decide to do. It should be a dramatic impact player for this roster. No matter what, though, trading down, I think, is still the best option for them. I mean, I mean, this is consistent across the board for a lot of teams. But when you have that many holes at valuable positions, trading if the Giants can trade down and say, look, the difference between whoever your top tackle is on your board, whether it's Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Mekhi Becton, like if they roll out with Mekhi Becton at four— just, you know, the big freak who can run fast and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm not that excited about it. If they could have traded down and gotten, say, whoever the next tackle is on the board and another valuable draft pick. Because they just have so many holes. Um, it's a good place, I think, to attack receiver this offseason. Maybe on the turn, when it gets into the second round area, there'll be some receivers that fall. And I like the idea of getting you know, a tackle in the first round and all that stuff. But um, they just have so many holes defensively. What about Isaiah Simmons? Yeah. For the Giants. I mean, that would be a really... So, again, my, my thing with Isaiah Simmons is I really like him as a player, but the thing that I love the most about his college tape was how Clemson deployed him, right? And if you're not going to do that at the NFL level, how good is he just... How good is he when forced to be a simple, conventional uh, position in the NFL, right? Whether it's linebacker or safety, how good is he when you just say, okay, this is now what you do? You, you, we're not using you as a joker on defense we're using you as a weak side linebacker or as a strong safety now what are you so i liked i like the way our friend uh, matt bowen described him at, at espn which was like cover three safety something we said a couple weeks ago and then nickel dime linebacker i think that is the deployment that is great because you have him playing around the line of scrimmage on early downs but with some flexibility you're going to play short intermediate deep zones you're going to play a little bit of man coverage and then uh, in nickel and dime packages, you are you officially become defensive weapon. You're a blitzer. Um, you're spying the quarterback. It is a game plan oriented style that would bring a ton of value to that Giants defense. Edge rush or pass rush in general for the Giants has been an issue since JPP and Olivier Vernon have been gone. Marcus Golden had the ten sacks, but still not an efficient down to down pass rusher. So I think their best case scenario is waiting on Chase Young. We've debated this internally at PFF quite a bit. If they could get a Chase Young, that'd be outstanding. But if they don't, they're going to have to try to find edge rush second, third round, or in free agency. Should they go the Jadavian Clowney, Shaq Barrett, big-name free agent route, they have a ton of cap space compared to the rest of the league. They do, but as we talked before, every one of these free agents has some kind of red flag attached to them. Um, now, granted, there are some whose red flag is simply they're not worth the contract you would need to give them. And if you determine that, well, they've got a ton of cap space, they need all these positions to be fixed, maybe they are a team that can overpay 
knowing just for the security of getting a good player. So look, Jadavian Clowney essentially wants to be the best paid edge rusher in the NFL. He's not even close to being worth the best uh, the best paid edge rusher in the NFL level, but but he's good and consistently good. So are the Giants a team that has the flexibility and the freedom to be able to say, well, let's just pay him what he wants because we know he'll solve that problem for us, even if he in even if in abstract terms he's not worth that dollar figure, it's it's worth we have the ability to overpay. Are they the team that ends up because we we keep saying don't overpay, so then it's like all right, what's the second wave? Does Dante Fowler ever come cheap? No, Does I, see, I don't think Shaq Lawson is anybody going to come cheap. Is there a second wave where it's like I'm looking through our list? You know, you take a shot on an Everson Griffin for a year, right? Like, there's no Adrian Claiborne. Like, you really are stitching it together with guys who are just okay. Yeah, I, and I don't think any of them are going to be bargains. That's the concern I have with this with this free agent edge rusher group. Is I just I don't see the I don't see the cheap second option that gives you eighty percent of what the top guys are going to get. I think the guys that give you eighty percent of what the top guys are going to get are going to give they're going to get the same overpaid money, and I don't want any part of that either. The only one that I might be vaguely intrigued by is Eric Armstead, and I don't know what kind of contract he's going to snag, but if he is in any way. You know, significantly cheaper than a Jadavian Clowney. That's the one that I would be intrigued on, in, uh, intrigued about jumping on. Wrapping it up with the Giants, though, rumors about Leonard Williams being franchise tagged. That would be because you can never have too many interior run defenders. Again, for one year, I don't hate this. I don't hate I, the franchise tag. Isn't crippling, but it's like if you're gonna spend that money, even in a one year deal, like it's a guy that's a mediocre pass rusher and a guy that you know stops the run. You have enough of those guys, yeah. I'd say. So, all right. Giants fixed, or we just talked about a whole bunch of theories. Uh, I mean, they're they're not fixed, but they're as well as we could do in the time, as well as we possibly could do. Washington Redskins next up on the clock. I think their initial question starts at number two overall. Are you in the two of sweepstakes? Are you rolling with Dwayne Haskins? What are the positives and negatives in your mind with both? Well, the positives with drafting Tua are you double your chances that one of the two quarterbacks you now have has a chance to be a franchise quarterback. The negatives, I think, are neither of them are happy about that situation, and you cause all kinds of problems. Um, I think I, I quite like Dwayne Haskins as a prospect when he came out. I think he showed some nice stuff down the stretch last year. I would give him another shot. If he stinks next year and you don't have the franchise quarterback, you're going to be back drafting one the following season anyway, so it doesn't really change anything. I think you take well, so the good thing about the Tua good thing about Tua being cleared medically at the Combine by all reports to me is that it puts number two back in play for trades, right? Because now, it's like, okay, he is the 1A to Joe Burrow's, or 1B to Joe Burrow's 1A. He's a top quarterback prospect. He's right up there at the number two overall value. So Washington can start dealing and they can they put out these ideas of hey we just take the best player we bring him in we compete all the stuff they've been already sowing in terms of hey we can we will do that we this is not Dwayne Haskins job we'll give him competition so now they're setting a market so they can trade the hell out of that spot and accumulate well, picks so let, let's say they're, they're going to roll with Haskins right and our guy Timo wrote a great piece on this a few weeks ago. Now let's stack up. Okay, you're going with Haskins. You're not going with Tua internally. You know this, but you've built a market for him. Now, do you go with the sure thing, Chase Young, or do you take advantage of the market that you've created for QB1B, as you said, and trade down? And you pick up two or three extra second rounders. 
I mean, so you're really stacking up. Haskins, okay, he's locked in. So it's Haskins plus Chase Young or Haskins plus, say, 10 overall and, say, two more first-round picks. So you're, 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 you're weighing eight, you know, the 10th tenth, the tenth overall pick, say, just making up a number, 10th overall pick, two more first-rounders versus Chase Young. Give me the extra first-rounders. Always, right? Yeah. You always have to do that. And it's really tough because a lot of people are like, I evaluated this guy. He's a nine on the scouting system. On a nine. He's a nine. I can't pass up a nine. But when you think about, like, if the Giants did that a couple years ago, instead of drafting Saquon Barkley a two and traded down and picked up three other players, we wouldn't be sitting there saying, man, they've got holes everywhere. Yeah, so there's definitely value to the idea that he could be a superstar. And even even if you want to assign value to the idea of we are more confident that he is a superstar than any of these other guys, not just that he will be better, but that we're more confident that he is at this level com- like compared to anything, anybody else. Those two things are both worth a certain value, but the impact and the value that a single edge rusher can have in terms of winning games is small enough that that extra value of how certain you are and how good you think you will be is not worth passing up the chance to draft another wide receiver in the first round or another cornerback in the first round. Like, in isolation, either one of those players could be worth more than Chase Young, even if they're not as good as a player, because they play more more valuable positions. Yeah, and so he, always take the extra picks. And here's the bottom line. If the Redskins had to choose between Chase Young and a Hall of Fame career, even if you knew he was going to be a Hall of Famer, and you had to choose between him versus, say, a starting tackle and two cornerbacks, even with the uncertainty around those positions, from a what's better for the team standpoint, the tackle and two corners are better for your team building even if you knew that he was going to be a, free, a, a Hall of Famer, even with, if you could lock in that he was going to be Lawrence Taylor. Even if you limit it to one player, like if he is a perennial all-pro edge rusher, right, but the guy you get at cornerback in with one of your other picks is a pro bowler, right? If he's a pro bowl cornerback, he's worth more than your all-pro edge rusher. He makes a bigger impact on your team. Same with a wide receiver. If he is a you know a pro bowl level wide receiver, not even all-pro, if he's a Pro Bowl-level wide receiver, he is making a bigger impact in your ability to win games than the all-pro edge rusher is. And you have two more picks in the first round to play with. Even if you screw both of them up, it makes more sense. Okay, so overall, I would still I would, I would, I would lean into potentially drafting Tua. If they don't, I would trade down over Chase Young. From a free agent standpoint, it sounds like they might be all in on Jack Conklin at right tackle. A little risky for like the reported $18 million per year for him, but... You got to get back to mediocre on that offensive line as well. And then if they end up having to trade Trent Williams, there could be some good draft capital coming out of there. What else do you need to do offensively to make life easier for Haskins? They need more receivers. Terry McLaurin was a fantastic surprise a season ago, but he's basically the only guy there. He was the number one receiver from the get go, and from the from the get go, Steve, and nobody else was there to take advantage of that. So you need to add more weapons there. The other, the other reason the Redskins really need to trade down is not having a second-round pick. That'll not be. having a pick at, like, 34, right? That's a very valuable pick that they're missing right now because of the Montez Sweat trade, I believe, right, last year, trading up for him. So um, something they need to—that they could really resolve by trading down out of two if they don't take Tua. All right, wrapping up the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles. Let me just say this. For all you fans that are reading every single mock draft right now, and your only comment is, we don't need that position. We don't need it right now. 
What did the Eagles not need a year ago? You could get Eagles. Yeah. What did they not? What if you mocked them a wide receiver or a corner last year? It was like you idiots. We don't need that. We already have all of that. Needs change, not just annually. They change almost daily in the NFL yeah, due I mean, to injuries and just foresight that eventually maybe the guy that you think is good won't be good anymore or he'll get hurt or whatever it is. The Eagles have the same holes that they had a few years ago when they were trying to rebuild and get to the Super Bowl, which they ended up doing. There's almost no scenario where what you already have should be preventing you from taking somebody, right? If it's a good player at a valuable position. The only the only possible change to that to me is quarterback, where I think the dynamics of play there are slightly different. But in terms of— You're so soft with that. In terms of any other position— you can get guys on the field, right? Even if you're loaded and you're, you just have an absurd rotation, right? The Eagles have proven time and time again, you can go seven guys deep on the defensive front in terms of pressure getters. You can stack the interior with edge rushers if that's where you're strong. You, you, know, you can do a lot of things to get those guys on the field. And the way the NFL works, there's such turnover. So even if you're strong now, you're not going to be strong next year when three of them hit free agency. Keep reloading. Don't prevent. Don't allow yourself to be uh, hamstrung in a year's time because you weren't. You were really strong a season before that. Um, so there's no scenario where you should be concerned about that. And as you said, the other factor is that four guys could get hurt, and then what are you going to do? Now you can't really legislate for that. That's just a freak occurrence that happens every now and again. But you would be in a better spot if you, you know, if you do that kind of thing. So the eagle, like the, the Eagles' corner depth chart. Other than the so Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills are both free agents, but the actual names that were there that are there this year aren't that much different than they were last year. Avante Maddox, you know Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby, yeah, they're both free now. Rasul Douglas, they went in. Sidney Jones, they went in last year with all these guys, thinking, hey, they're all like somewhat reasonable. A couple of guys could emerge or whatever, but you still have to throw more names in the mix. Now you very specifically need to because of the free agency situation. So um, the other part, we thought that their receiver core was great coming into the season. Deshaun Jackson hurt. Alshon Jeffrey hurt. All of them hurt. Nelson Aguilar really, at the end of the day, how many good years is it? Just had the one year, right? 2017 for Aguilar. He's now ready to hit free agency. They did draft J.J. Arcega-Whiteside last it. year. I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. Arcega-Whiteside out of Stanford last year. I don't know if he was disappointing necessarily, but we thought maybe he contributed a little bit more in the red zone. They have the two nice tight ends to throw to, but they're another team, offensive weapons and corners that I think are going to be at a premium this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think the Eagles, they looked like they were in a fantastic spot a season ago, and I think they are in a better spot than maybe people think this year because a lot of those guys are coming back. Um, but suddenly this roster has gone from being maybe the best on paper in the NFL to there's a lot of holes that need to be patched up um, receiver. They have some issues there, even with people coming back, the offensive line is starting to get older, not just, I mean, Jason Peters obviously is leaving. They, they, well, they did, did exactly what you talked about. They did a good job with this, right? They drafted Andre Dillard a year ago, who should be able to step in and be the immediate replacement, assuming that goes well. Um, but other guys on that offensive line are getting up in years as well. They need to start thinking about the future there. And then the defense, cornerback is a major problem now, in a, even with everybody healthy. Um, and the defensive front, which was so dominant, is starting to get bare-er. So I think there's a lot of places they can go. Yeah, so the Eagles, um, certainly at the, at the value positions, uh, have, have some issues. They're in the middle of the pack as far as cap space goes. Are there any 
good fits that you see there? Like, what's the best case scenario for Carson Wentz or maybe for the secondary? Yeah, I mean, again, I, so receiver, I just don't think is a great group in free agency. Um, you've got Amari Cooper is the prize that everybody wants, assuming Dallas let him escape. You've got a couple of um, useful situational players or, or style players like Robbie Anderson is a very good deep threat. Emmanuel Sanders is still a very good player, but obviously he's older and isn't a long-term solution. After that, like there's no one there that you want to break the door down for, even as a great value signing later on. Like you're not sure. It's There's a few people who, okay, I might take a punt on this guy for a year, but I'm not confident in it. Um, cornerback is kind of, it's, it's as we talked about, it's like this giant reclamation yard, right? There's a lot of ability in there but almost none of which you're confident in it's like yeah okay if i get if i get two of these guys there's there's good tape in the past but i don't have much confidence in me being able to rediscover it in 2020 like i think there's any any cornerback needy team should be signing your favorite reclamation project from this group and seeing if you can get the best play back out of them but it shouldn't be your only plan so from a from a draft standpoint um, they love to draft linemen, right? I like that they got Andre Dillard last year. They love to draft defensive linemen. That, uh, the D-line and the pressure, as you mentioned, has been a strength for years. But Brandon Graham's getting up in age. Derek Barnett, has he disappointed just a little bit? He's heading into year four. That might be another place where they try to replenish. It's not a great edge class. I do think they're another team, though, middle of the first, wide receiver corner. The value will match up. I'll throw another name in the mix. Xavier McKinney, safety out of Alabama. Mike Renner's comp in the draft guide, which is fantastic, by the way, pff.com, his comp was Malcolm Jenkins, which I, which I love as a comp. Like, the dude can cover, versatile safety, cover the slot. It's not the, not the most exciting pick in the first round, given all these other needs, but I could see him fitting in pretty well there. Great news for the Eagles, though, is that they're going to get some addition by subtraction and finally getting shot of Jalen Mills in free agency, assuming they don't bring him back. Why do you hate Jalen Mills so much? Because he's bad, and they keep playing him. Yeah. The end. That's it. What more do you want? You hate Jalen Mills, though. All right, let's move on to the NFC North, where I've decided to start with the Bears. Of course. Do they think that they have a quarterback decision to, be, to make, or are they just saying, okay, we're going to roll with Trubisky and do what we can to build around him? And, you know, if, if we don't like him at the end of this year, then, okay, now it's, now it's time to move on. So I think their problem is that they're very hamstrung by what they can do, right? It's the, in order, the, the moves they had to make to go and get Trubisky were so aggressive in terms of trades that they don't have that much draft capital anymore, right? They've given up a lot already just to get this guy, and if you now want to give up more to replace him, you're in a really tough spot. So, so this, is, this is literally the same situation that we just discussed with Washington, right? If you had your choice between Chase Young and say three or four draft picks, here's why you would take three or four draft picks. They have Khalil. The Bears have Khalil Mack. They didn't have a first-rounder last year. They don't again this year. How hamstrung are they right now as the rest of their roster just gets slowly depleted Right, and they can't really feel, fill those holes as efficiently as they could have with more picks? So I think it's a slightly different situation, though, in terms of like if you'd had the quarterback, I think that's the time to start doing that stuff, right, is to start playing for certainty because – we know we have the quarterback now, and we're not talking about, like, uh, playing the odds or, of sort of 
best value anymore. We're talking about how do we assemble a Super Bowl team around this guy as fast as humanly possible. So I don't hate the idea they went out and draft and uh, traded for Khalil Mack because they thought they had the quarterback. The problem is they didn't have the quarterback. So now you've had a big trade for Khalil Mack and a big trade for Trubisky, both of which are causing you problems because now you want the hell away from Trubisky. So I don't obviously I don't know that you can really do that in the draft. You only have what like a pair of second round picks. Right. Um, in free agency, it is a really quarterback rich free agency class. Trubisky is sufficiently mentally fragile that he like turns off TVs in the building lest you hear bad things said about him. So that is a that is a guy who will crumble immediately uh, that you bring TV somebody in to matter. take his job, right? The TV thing doesn't matter. It, I mean, it completely matters in terms of if you bring somebody else into this building, they need to be one of two things. They need to be the new starter, and Trubisky is immediately aware of the fact that he's now a backup, or they need to be somebody so off the radar that he's not even thinking that the, his job is in any way in, in jeopardy. Here's, here's the thing, right? When you are going to make a draft pick, I think that there's a, a few things to consider, right? There's the stability. Like how, how well can you predict this guy's future performance? Um, how valuable is his role? And then what's the market, right? So we talk about Chase Young a lot. Edge, you know, he is probably way better than Edge 2, 3, 4, 5 by significant margin. But there's a million different receivers to choose from, so maybe you wait on receiver. How about the, using that as the, quarter, the quarterback market right now? where I keep saying that there's like 15 or 20 guys who aren't completely interchangeable, but 15 to 20 guys in the middle tier of quarterback right now who could put together good seasons. And Trubisky is not even one of those guys. Like, he's graded below those guys. So if the if so right now in the NFL, in theory, it is easy to find a, the, the 25th best starter who could in one given year be as good as the 10th best starter. Is that a fair way of assessing this yeah like it's easy to find a mid-tier quarterback right now and i think the bears are sitting below a mid-tier quarterback yeah meaning the mariota plan of bringing him in the teddy bridgewater plan i think makes a ton of sense because there's a higher chance that those guys will play better than trubisky and the bears kind of have to make that move i think well i so i think they are in they're basically in a very similar spot to where the Titans were, right? Which is you're kind of stuck with this guy going forward for a period of time. You don't have an awful lot of cap space. You don't have the draft picks to make something aggressive happen to replace him in the draft. So you're basically stuck rolling with this guy for another season. And it, theirs is further complicated by the fact that this guy would appear to be a mental midget when it comes to dealing with um, adversity and criticism from the outside and all these kinds of things, right? So you're now... You, I don't know that you can sort of throw. A, you don't have the. Chemistry. You're focused way too much on the adversity thing. No, no, no. Mitch Trubisky had is, no. Tru- he had no. He had no outside influences or anything like that, and has graded like a bottom third starter. Regardless, it can't yes. get any worse. No, no, no. But that, the problem is that you're probably going to be stuck with starting him. So you don't want to do anything that like, further makes him worse. You're not stuck doing anything. You are. You can make whatever move you want. Because you can't because you don't have the money to do it. You can't okay, go and say, true. all right, Trubisky is bad, so let's bring in a Teddy Bridgewater who's a better quarterback, and let's pay him like a starter. Because you don't have the money to do that, right? So you need to effectively bring in someone as a backup who you think can play better than Trubisky when he ultimately and inevitably plays himself out of the starting job. Like, that's a Marcus Mariota type, right? But the second you bring a guy like that in the building, Trubisky's going to, like, seize up and collapse. No, you're overrating the whole thing. It doesn't matter what he does. 
It's, it's like because like you it does think, if you still plan on starting him. You think his mental like he's going to play worse than he did just because there's another guy in the building? Yeah. The the bigger issue is that he's going to that he could play the same. Yes. And you're already stuck with that. So the problem is don't do anything that magnifies the chance of that happening. Anyway, uh, also have to replace Prince of Mukamara in the secondary. Um, I think those second-round picks, I think there might be some – could be some tackle value in the second round. I keep mentioning Josh Jones out of Houston, who's a first-round player on our board who could last to the second. And, you know, the cornerback, you, you want that group of corners maybe to drop, and that's another place that hasn't been a need necessarily for the Bears – just like offensive line. Their offensive line was one of the worst in the league last year out of nowhere. I was writing this up the other day. They all regressed. They were the epitome of the creep back toward average line, and they all regressed last year. Right, but how much of that's Trubisky as well? Uh, I mean, he was the same guy the year before. No, he wasn't. He was worse last year than he was the season before. Not by much, Sam. Not by much. By the, reason. The, by everything much. around him. By, by what measure? By what measure? He was noticeably worse last season than he was the year before. The final grade ended up pretty close. The difference was he wasn't getting help. The final grade ended up pretty close because he came back and strung together like four games that were actually quite good. Right, he just did them in different order. Before that, he was abysmal. He had the same year but in a different order. In in 2018, he went like three bad, one good, three bad, one good, three bad, one good. In 2019, it was like 12 bad, three good. That was it. It was the same three good games that he had. He just had them in order. Yeah, that was it. I think he Same was, year. I think his baseline was noticeably worse last season. Yeah, because it all happened in a row. Yeah. The point is, the left tackle, Charles Leno regressed, Bobby Massey regressed. They all regressed except James Daniels up front. Uh, either way, the Bears looked like a really nice roster a year ago, and it's like they need offensive line help, could use another weapon, they need cornerback help, and they got to figure out quarterback. Did we fix them at all? No. Man, sorry, Bears fans, we couldn't fix you. Detroit Lions, we'll fix you guys. Darius Slay, they're talking about trading him. Yeah, don't do that. I think I think there's like a legit discussion here. Did he regress completely last year? I mean, he, over the last two years, he's ranked like 50th or 60th in just single coverage grade, including the 2018 season. And they play all this man coverage. It might actually be a good time, the, the more I look at the numbers, to trade Darius Slay. But it's a really uncomfortable situation because they've spent the last four or five years trying to find an, a guy opposite Darius Slay to cover. Mm-hmm. So trading him is a bad idea. But is he even good anymore? Or is he, good, is he a number one corner anymore? Not, not this good I don't good think he bad. was great last season, but before that, it was a pretty consistent run of very good play. I would be very reluctant to throw that out of the window when I don't have an obvious replacement and he's still only 29. Like, I don't, I don't see the reasons that you would do that other than to cash in when you think it's a valuable asset, and that just strikes me as, a, a, it strikes me as purposeless. Like, all you're going to do is take the first-round draft pick that you get for Darius Slay and draft Darius Slay's replacement, the chances of whom actually being ever as good as Darius Slay are minimal. That's just, that's just dumb. So roll with Slay plus. Oh, plus a draft pick. Find CB2. Might be good. Yeah, I mean, we keep saying, look, the whole podcast is going to be about receivers and corners and O-line a little bit and some tackles, right? Um, But it's important because the reason why these teams, the reason why all the teams we've listed, Washington, the Giants, why the Eagles, you know, had their ups and downs, all of these teams, the Cowboys, because they couldn't cover well or because their pass game wasn't very good. I mean, that's why these teams are all needing help, the Bears, all these teams. Um, So with Detroit... 
They play as much man coverage as anyone else. So they really need to roll four deep. They're not playing zone coverage to kind of like hide. Like the Colts, the Colts can deal with some lesser talent at corner because they can hide them in a zone scheme and you just need a guy that can tackle, you know, less flashy position. The Lions really need corners. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Simmons to them? You want to put Isaiah Simmons everywhere. Um, well, I think, well, they're picking at four. Yes. I'm sorry. They're picking at three. So three. anybody at three, four, five, six, they're all going to be in the Simmons discussion. The Lions fit the, the second time I've mentioned them. Right. I don't think it'll be the last, though. Um, well, yeah, you need some other teams in the top ten. That, that should be debating him. Sure. I mean, look, in theory, he's a do-everything impact safety, so he fits everywhere, right? I don't think that's a—I think he fits fine there. I don't know that they're the most creative defense in the world to the point where, again, maximize what he can actually do. I don't love that fit from a getting the most out of his skill set point of view, but I think he would be a decent upgrade impact player for it. I wouldn't take him if I'm Detroit there because of, because Akut is on the board and there's a chance they could get Chase Young, although on the turn— Early second-round pick, Julian Aquara from Notre Dame, when I was watching him, reminded me a little bit of Jamie Collins. Pure pass rusher in, uh, in college at Notre Dame, just like Jamie Collins was, but moves well in space and really athletic. I could see everybody on the Belichick tree looking at Aquara and being like, Jamie Collins, like that guy, can do something with him. And the way they've used Collins in the Belichick system is as a blitzer, coverage player, and you know made him a traditional linebacker, but with some versatility, I could see that being a really good fit for Patricia. Do you think overhaul. that uh, Patricia's scheme even wants a Chase Young, like a, a genuinely sort of devastating pure pass rusher? So it's a great question, right? Because the whole the whole Belichick tree has, as we've had this pass rush first coverage debate, they've basically said, "Give me a guy who doesn't necessarily win, plays contain, you know, pushes the pocket a little bit, but we really want to just." win on the back end and not always though right it was more a sort of patricia era thing like you go back far enough they had those sort of specialist pass rushes like you know tully banta kane or whatever like that's basically what he i did. mean they still wanted to create pressure on the quarterback but they didn't put but, but they didn't when, put premier they didn't find premier talent well that's no, no no but even stylistically right when like patricia came in it was very much a pivot towards the rob ninkoviches of the world as opposed to the tully banta canes who are guys that were more pressure players Twitchier players. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, look, the only time I think uh, Belichick and the Patriots really attacked and went after an edge rusher was when they traded up for Chandler Jones. Yeah. And even he was more of like a technique, hands winner, and not an all-rounder. You know, yeah. Wasn't he was, a, I'm, right. I'm not sacrificing what I want fundamental-wise to get this, the pressure. Here. He, he was also big enough for them that they put him at five technique, yeah. and he did multiple things. I don't know. It's a good question if, if Chase Young is really – that perfect fit for them. They should trade down, too. Every team should trade down with they all these They should trade holes. down. I also kind of like some of the mid-round options for them. Like, if you're going to go cornerback later on in this draft, Troy Pride from Notre Dame I think would be a fantastic fit there. I think he's a good cover guy. Stood out at the senior ball, Steve, and you know how I like that. Um, I think well, yeah, fits that goes that without saying. Perfectly. I think that's a – like, I, I kind of have – a reasonable amount of confidence, albeit an incredibly small sample size, that OORIA can be a strong number two. But Troy Pride, I think, could help both challenge for that number two spot. I think he would also have the versatility to line up in the slot. The uh, Offensively, the other thing they need to continue to do is continue to unleash Stafford. Four, four yards per attempt per play higher. That's not good. Average depth of target. What's not good? Before. Like the fact that he had that. Oh, push. that he had to. 
Yeah, so um, so they didn't really reap the benefits last year as far as wins and losses, but I think if they could shore up some stuff defensively and continue that aggressive style with Stafford thrown to Galladay and Marvin Jones, and all, I, I think they can make some moves next year. But they, they also have to treat this offseason to build in the pass game more than they have in the past and over the last great, couple of years. That, I mean, Galladay aside, those are receivers that are getting on that could, you know, be getting they could get younger at that spot across. Danny Amendola's back. I mean, that, but yeah, they could. They they're all yeah. Galladay's young, but yeah. Other than Galladay, the right. rest of that room is getting older. Yeah, throw more weapons. Get another receiver. Galladay's getting older as well. He's just younger. They're all getting. You're getting older. I'm getting. Old. We're all getting. Young. We're all getting older. Yeah. All right, Green Bay Packers. Biggest offseason need for the team that went to the NFC Championship, lost to the 49ers. They really did, right? They huh. did. They stumbled into it. How did that? They happen? snuck in. Remember, they were the worst thirteen and three team in history. Yeah. Remember that? And they went to the NFC Championship game. How about the combine? Really, just resolving things between Aaron and George and Eric, and it was great. Everybody coming together. Shats rather than Rogers, right? Nagler. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Nagler. Nagler, not Shats or Rogers. Rogers. Yeah. Rogers would have been interesting. It would have been. Yeah. After they trashed the Packers. Yeah. Um, playmakers for Rogers has to be uh, Jimmy Graham. Just got released. Yeah. Yesterday. Versatile tight end option. There's rumors that they're going to be all in on Austin Hooper. I think that would be a mistake. Yes. We don't love Austin Hooper. Um, I think he does things that you can scheme up for tight ends, right? Yeah. Like running wide open. I, I was even just watching his targets. It's like he just ran wide open up the seam. He's sitting in a zone. He's taking one of those underneath or flat routes, Austin right? Hooper's production is the running backs of the passing game. Like if, Ooh, you, nice one. if you can't achieve what he is achieving right now, given what he's been schemed up with anybody else off the street, then what the hell are you even doing? Right. He's not, he's not going to like line up out wide and instill fear into the defense or create a mismatch issue or anything like that. He's going to be a complimentary piece. He's the Thomas Jones of tight ends. He's like a calibration tool for your passing game. We, do re- we need the all-Thomas Jones team. He definitely wins. I mean, that's basically what he is. He's a calibration tool for how well you're scheming tight ends open. Yeah. So I wouldn't go all in what, on so Austin Hooper from the Packers. Where are you going to fix the receiver group? Like so I, free agency or the draft? So at the back end of the first round, I think you're looking at... Or both. I think you're looking at a T. Higgins, Jalen Rager type of situation. I think Rager would be really nice. Opposite Devontae Adams, the TCU receiver. Yeah. Um Free agency wise, I don't know. Do you have a, a great? I want to say Emmanuel Sanders. Yes. We've said for a while. Yes, yes, yes. Would be good there. So what if they actually did both? Right. So you go Emmanuel oh, Sanders. Yeah. You have Devonte Adams, two really nice route runners, and a Rager that can stretch the field a little bit. So what I like about the Emmanuel Sanders thing is that he is a short term option. Right. That's that's his negative in most people's eyes. But I, the reason I like that for Green Bay is that I don't think they are done with the group of young guys that they've drafted over the past couple of seasons to try and add receivers next to Devontae Adams. Obviously, they haven't all worked out, and in fact, none of them have really consistently emerged as a receiver that A, Rodgers trusts, and B, can, has consistently shown that they can be a secondary option. But I don't know that they're convinced that they've screwed those picks up yet, right? So maybe you bring in... And Emmanuel Sanders, who's shown that despite being his age, he can still get it done and be a top 20 wide receiver in the NFL. But he's also like that has to be a good influence in terms of showing the young guys how to do it, you know, developing them by proxy almost. And then in a year or two, he steps out and maybe you've maybe one of those guys has shown enough while he was a third, a tertiary option learning from 
the other two, that he now actually can step up to be that secondary guy. And you don't have to go, crap, we messed it up. Now let's draft two more receivers and try all over again and not necessarily fix it. Yeah, I mean, the the Packers have have executed the strategy that we are talking about quite a bit, which is draft volume at important positions at, like, receiver and, and corner. They just haven't hit on them. Right. But, I mean, that's part of the strategy. Like, you just you, you have to keep trying. And if, you get, if you're one out of three, it's like, all right, maybe you found a player there. I would I would bring Sanders in if for nothing else, like the guys that are there, the Valdez Scantlings of the world and Geronimo Allisons, like the guys that he's thrown to in recent years are more outside guys, outside the numbers types of players. Even Devontae Adams, it's like he runs a slant and then it's kind of like the fade, stop, route tree type of thing, right? A good old-fashioned dig route. That's Emmanuel Sanders. How do you get Aaron Rodgers to attack the middle of the field more Effectively, I think getting more receivers who win there, win in traffic, and having him trust more of those guys uh, within the scheme, I think will be really important, too. I mean, if you're trying to extract production out of Aaron Rodgers in his later years here, you need that. And then it's like when he was thrown to Jimmy Graham, man, he just felt so slow. I mean, Hooper's an upgrade over Jimmy Graham, I think. I mean, if you're saying Jimmy Graham had, you know, he had some games where he was, you know, the drag route, the seam route. Like, he was open schematically. Like, Hooper could do that at a better level, make a contested catch here and there. I don't think it's worth more than $10 million a year. No. But that would help. Um, defensively, there's a lot of talk about them not being able to stop the run. I think that was more schematic than actual personnel. And a lot of people like Blake Martinez going back there. Is he going to make a ton of money on the open market at linebacker? I don't know. I wouldn't pay it to him. Right. So a lot of Packers fans love him. Had over 100 tackles every year, all that stuff. Um, you know, continue to build that back seven. And um, somebody had a rumor about them trading up for Isaiah Simmons, trading their whole draft and everything for him. No, no, no. A thousand times no. That would be a bad, bad move. Um, but I think the biggest priority is building that offense around Aaron. Yeah, I mean, I think I would love Sanders. I think that's a big thing. I wouldn't hate drafting a receiver as well. But I don't, like I say, I don't think they're ready to give up entirely on, particularly uh, Valdez Scantling, I think, is the guy they would like to see sort of take a step forward. And anything they can do to encourage that whilst also fixing the problem and not relying on him is good. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings, Sam. They're heading into the last year of Kirk Cousins' contract. Yeah. How about that? The Vikings are going to be sitting there as one of the, unless they get a long-term deal done, one of the biggest QB needy teams in the NFL heading into next offseason, right? Yeah, and what's interesting is while they've been, so the Cousins deal has been kind of fascinating because they, it hasn't, it's not like it was ever crippling, right? It's always basically put them up against the cap and they're always able to get away from it and make enough moves happen to to still function and still be viable and build a decent team around him. But it's a concern. Now, obviously, we know Cousins has never been a superstar. This was his past, his best season, and he was, you know, good, not great. They've never, they haven't looked to go beyond him, right? They haven't drafted somebody that could be the next few, like, you know what I mean? If you... Given the stress that Kirk Cousins was putting on this roster from a cap point of view and, and the fact that he wasn't that great and, you know, short-term deal, et cetera, et cetera, you, you know, you're staring down the barrel of another monster contract for him. You should have been drafting a quarterback every single year just on the off chance. So, But this is the catch-22 of the NFL. And, again, Cousins had a top-10 caliber year last year. Yes. And he's probably not a top-10, in air quotes, right. quarterback 
every single year, right? He's the mid-tier quarterback who is, can that's have. As, that's as good as he's going to be. But here's the, the, the thing is, when you have the guy that, again, in this hypothetical, ranks between 8th and 25th in the NFL, Cousins is in that mix, he's 12th, 13th, whatever he is, you, you, you have the catch of, do I continue to draft quarterbacks trying to hit on that first contract guy, or do I have to, because he needs it, put all resources into building around this guy? Like, in theory, when you have a Kirk Cousins caliber quarterback, the only way you're going to maximize his value is with a great supporting cast. I mean, I'm not saying you take Lamar Jackson in the first round because you need a, an Though alternative. Oh, maybe that would have helped. Because you need an alternative. There's no way that that offense. Like, can you imagine the offense they would have crafted around Lamar Jackson in Minnesota? Um, I'm not saying that that was your solution, but they should have been spending a draft pick on a quarterback every single year. The idea that they were happy to roll into seasons with Sean Mannion as their backup to Kirk Cousins with zero eye to the future is honestly pretty negligent. And now you're staring down this situation where it's the last year of Cousins' deal. You have messed up your the places you did spend the draft capital sufficiently that suddenly there's a lot of holes on this roster and the Vikings basically need to nail this offseason to not be in trouble next year. What if it's not? What if I go back to the fact that the rest of like finding a Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston in today's NFL isn't that difficult? And then the difference between Mariota and Winston is, is small. I mean, it, it, the difference between Mariota, Winston, and Cousins. So like a year from now, there's going to be more of these mid-tier quarterbacks on the market. And you kind of... They kind of have to go all in on Cousins this year and build the roster around him. What if, what if you don't need a backup option in today's NFL just because there are literally 32 quarterbacks that are probably capable of, of starting, and out of that group, only 28 of them might have jobs, actual starting jobs because of rookies and you know whatever it might be, guys like Mariota falling out of favor. Just another thought of just where the market is right now. Finding a Cousins-level quarterback or someone similar, 90% of him, might not be that difficult in today's NFL. I mean, it might not be, but you're still in trouble because at some point you need to make the decision that now we're moving in a different direction. We're letting go of a fairly sure thing for a complete unknown, and that's risky. Um, I think their bigger problem is that all the talent that they had amassed has eroded badly because they haven't fixed problem spots. So their offensive line is still bad, and they've thrown resources at the offensive line. That's a real issue. And, so. I've, and I've been saying their defense for a while, they've had some you know, turnover over the last couple of years, but it felt like this defense that just had this nucleus and it didn't really have the depth. Well, when, like, when a guy moved on, you didn't feel great about the replacements or anything like that, and now it feels a lot more depleted than it was from in 2017 when they were in the NFC Championship. They don't have any corners anymore. Yeah. Trey Waynes is a free agent, Mackenzie Alexander is a free agent, and Xavier Rhodes hasn't played well in like two years. So you basically, your top three corners are all gone for all intents and purposes. I like that they spent the first round on Mike Hughes in 2018 trying to have that foresight. but Right. You know. So you need Mike Hughes to be really good next year right. for you to even be in a fighting chance. You've got no cap space. They have the least cap space in the NFL, like $2 million or something, under $2 million. So they can't go out and fix this in free agency. They should probably be shopping at the cheapest possible reclamation spot for cornerback. So, you know, at that point, you're talking... Like, who knows? At that point, are you saying, um, you know, how much, how much would Mackenzie Alexander cost to bring back? Or, you know, Tremaine Brock was in this building a while ago and played quite well like four years ago. Can we get that season out of him again? Like, you're shopping at some real bargain Who's the best XFL guys. corner right now? Right. You're genuinely in that kind of 
position. And you need to start thinking about cornerback being your first pick in the draft as well because like you, today's NFL, you cannot have a substandard group of cornerbacks. The Vikings did last year, and on paper, they're significantly worse heading into 2020. So late first round, another team late first round perhaps looking at corner. So similar names that we talked about on our board, Trevon Diggs. Diggs I like a lot. From Bama. You like that fit there? Yeah. Plus, what they do? you know, family connection. Might, might, oh, the Diggs might brothers. Might Stefan in a little bit. The Diggs going at it. Uh, what about Jeff Gladney from TCU? I know you like him. A little bit, too. Yeah. They He's are, 36 on our board, borderline first round. They're also an interesting team for a Cameron Dantzler, right, who's now – his stock is kind of up in the air because his combine performance was kind of crappy, right? Round right. four sixes. Um, a lot of people saying that shouldn't be a true indicator of his ability, but every time you run something one place and then run it diff- faster at your pro day, that's – I mean, how much do you trust that, right? So Dancer's intriguing because I think he'd be a really good fit in that defense, but he's a guy that does have those red flags of exactly what is he from a measurable standpoint. All right, so the Vikings, you don't love the spot they're in heading into this offseason. I think huh? they, need, I mean, they need to nail basically every personnel decision they make this offseason to not be in trouble next year, and that's a tough spot to be in. Uh, again, like what do you do in the offensive line because you've got multiple spots that need immediate attention and not – you don't have the cap space to make anything happen. So you need to, they basically need to have the best draft that they've had in a decade to not have problems. That's, there's a lot of pressure there. Yes. Highest paid players on the team, Cousins, Danelle Hunter, Stephon Diggs, Riley Reef, Xavier Rhodes. I mean, are we talking about Rhodes being cut? I don't know that they point? can, right? It don't, isn't that contract still prohibitive in terms of getting rid of him anytime soon? I think it's about $8 million in dead money. So, I mean, they could, but in the it's, future. it's not a great spot to be in. Right? But it's 12.9 on the cap yeah. just for this year. Linval Joseph. I mean, look, we, we're over time on the Vikings. We'll wrap it up. But I love, I love defensive tackles and all that stuff. I love watching them play. But when Linval Joseph is on the cap for $12 million, excellent player, getting a little bit older, that's where the risk comes in at these less valuable positions when you're trying to rebuild at valuable positions. So that can be uh, kind of difficult. Yeah, they've got a lot of work to do. All right, so let's move on to the NFC South, New Orleans Saints. New Orleans. Speaking of having no cap space, they just don't have the flexibility now. Um, we're assuming they're going to bring Breeze back, right? Yeah. Like Breeze said he's coming back. Mm-hmm. The Saints haven't officially brought him back, right? <laughs> no. But he's coming back. Well, so the only thing that would complicate that is if Sean Payton is, in fact, it telling the truth with how absurdly enamored he he's is. He's like, no, Taysom I love Taysom Hill. Hill. Right. He's Drew Brees plus. Well, he's, he's Steve he's, Young. He's Steve, Steve Young II. So I might... Which I, is Drew Brees with, flex, with, with athleticism. Right. I might trade a 41-year-old Drew Brees looking to come back for one last go-round at, you know, a million, like, billions of dollars that is his contract. Unlike Brady, right, he consistently sort of takes, you know, a percentage off his deal for the, the extra slot receiver and just comes in below the market. Breeze is like, no, no, just add inflation to whatever I was getting paid last year. Keep it ticking. Keep it going up. Um, so every year they do this one more year thing. It gets more expensive for them, effectively. Uh, but 41-year-old Drew Breeze for a fortune, I might trade him for Steve Young. So, you know, if, if, if that's what Sean Payton thinks, logically, Taysom Hill should be the starting quarterback next year. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume Breeze is the quarterback. Um, the all-in-ness of the Saints moves. The last couple of years, they made the big move to go get Marcus Davenport a couple of years ago. Um, they need so here's why it's it, it's got to be Breeze last year, right? 
because that their 2017 draft class was so spectacular. Yeah, and two of them were first round picks, so they're coming up in their fifth year options. That's Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek. They had Alvin Kamara, and they have Mar- uh, Marcus Williams in the secondary. Those four players, just an incredible haul for one draft. Yeah, and then the next year, the big trade up for Marcus Davenport. Good player, not worth all the picks, whatever. And then Eric McCoy, because of the Davenport trade, he was the only guy that they got last year in the early rounds, and he's a pretty good solid center. I mean, they've brought some talented young players in that need to get signed in the future. My point on the 17 classes, those guys need to get paid yeah. next year. So this is so this has to be it, right? Rookie quarter, rookie deal quarterbacks give you a window, right, for a Super Bowl. When those guys hit and you're like, right, wow, we just found Russell Wilson. We're paying him nothing for the next few years. We have a window now to attack a Super Bowl, Mahomes, whatever. Those guys on their first year, they give you a window. Also, the other thing that gives you a window is if you have one of those draft classes where you just come away and you've nailed basically the entire thing, Seahawks again. Seahawks Saints, did both, right? right? They had Wilson and those types of draft classes. Right. So honestly, kind of underachieved for only winning the, the one ring. Right. Maybe you should have given the ball to Marshawn. Wow. Um, but look, those two, those two things give you a window. So the Saints have had a window now for the Super Bowl for a couple of years because of that 2017 draft class. But the reason it's a window and not just a, you know, they, you're, now on a, you're now in a great place on a run is because of what you're saying. At some point, those guys all collectively hit a renewed contract at the same time. And unless you were planning for that in terms of salary cap space and actually, like, you know, reserving a giant chunk of money to keep these guys paid for second contracts, you can't afford to make that happen. And the Saints have not been reserving space. In fact, they've been doing the opposite. They've been, like, kicking the problem down the road because of Drew Brees right. taking up all their cap. So they, don't, they can't do it. This is, like, the last year for them to make a run. So, you know, every team goes into the offseason, and it's like, all right, how are we going to get better, right? And then some teams, it's less, less sexy, but you got to do it. It's like, how do you just maintain status quo and say, okay, we're good enough, and, you know, with the right breaks this year, Maybe it can happen. I mean, that's kind of where the Saints are right now. Like, in a perfect world, you'd have enough money to bring in maybe a speed threat to take Ted Ginn's spot and be the Ted Ginn role in that offense, right? Opposite Michael Thomas and somebody that could stretch the field a little bit more. Um, perfect world, well, you definitely need a cornerback opposite Marshawn Lattimore. You've got Eli Apple and P.J. Williams both as free agents. Even if they were back, that has been, like, the big question mark, much like Darius Slay in Detroit. Like, who's cornerback two over there? But you don't have the money, and you only have two, uh, a first-round pick and a third-round pick, right? So, like, the Saints are just trying to, like, hold water here, right, for this offseason and say, okay, with Breeze at the helm, with Michael Thomas to throw to, a good offensive line, a solid pass rush, and a couple anchors in the secondary, like, we're good enough here. Is that what we're looking at here for the Saints? I mean, sort of. I think there's always a case of if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So, oh, I agree. I, think, I just don't. How, how are they going to do it? Well, I think you do have some ammunition to, I mean, not salary cap wise, but you have some targets that you can get better. I think they do need that secondary threat opposite Michael Thomas, because as much as, you know, everyone knows what Michael Thomas is doing and he's still getting open and making catches every single play. That is great. But, you know, let's give the guy some help. I think there are players out there that could do that. And, you know, if you've got to wait until the third round and target like a K.J. Hamler, who's got speed, who can go deep, who can uh, do a lot of the sort of tricky underneath stuff in a way they don't really have anybody that can do right now. Um, yeah, Kamara, I guess, from a different alignment out of the backfield. But, you know, K.J. Hamler, I think, would make a massive impact on that offense and Ooh. is maybe a third-round pick that they could get 
as opposed to spending, you know, first couple of rounds, given how good this wide receiver draft class is. I think there's targets they can have lower down. I like that. So K.J. Hamler, third round. First round, are they another team we throw the cornerback? I think so, at? yeah. You've got to be, right? Yeah, I because, mean, again, value and need match up. It's a need for everybody anyway. So the Gladneys of the world, the Trevon Diggs of the world, maybe A.J. Terrell from Clemson. Um, and if they came away with those guys, they've got a chance to kind of patch those holes. Andrus Pizza, free agent at guard up front. Um, you, can, you can kind of stitch that together everywhere else. But I, I think weapons for Breeze so they don't get into a situation where they're trying to get too gimmicky. Love Taysom Hill, yeah. but, man, I don't think Taysom Hill gimmicks are carrying that team. And I think all of these old quarterbacks, Breeze, Brady, Rivers, I think they've all reached a point in their careers where they need more help than they used to, right? All of yeah, those guys absolutely. used to be able to get it all done by themselves. Brady dragging a group of no-name receivers to, to championships. Rivers playing in the face of zero offensive line help. Um, Breeze has had his own issues. But I think all of those guys just need more help than you think they're, they're, they used to. So dial it up. Give them receivers. Even when you think, yeah, old Breeze could have got it done with this group. Well, fair enough. But 41-year-old Breeze can't. So let's give him some more weapons. All right, Carolina Panthers. Are we in full rebuild mode here, Sam? We're fixing the Panthers, and are we talking about a multi-year fix? Yes. Everything is being blown up from the ground up. I mean, this roster, not just this roster, this franchise is being rebuilt, right? They are doing this whole thing from top to bottom. They're building new facilities. They are changing front office structures. They've changed personnel already in terms of coach, front office. This whole thing is being completely wiped clean and constructed from the foundations upwards, and I think that has to continue into the roster. All right, um, you ready? You ready for the plan? Okay. Here's the Panthers' plan. We're going full. Ten. Trevor Lawrence is okay. in. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are in play. Right. Mode. I'm not going to even call it tanking. We're going to trade Cam Newton. Okay. We're going to roll with Kyle Allen slash Will Greer. Kyle Allen, who showed some promise last year. Will Greer, who showed no promise last year. No promise. But Will Greer was a better college quarterback, had you know, projected better at the, at the NFL level. I'm going to roll with those guys. If I roll with those guys, chances are I'm not going to win many games. Mm. Or if I do, maybe I found a useful quarterback. Maybe not to build around, but to at least have an asset. Okay? So that's a strategy. Kyle Allen and Will Greer, it's your show. Christian McCaffrey, trading block. Christian McCaffrey is not a part of the rebuild. Wow. Buy into this. You just wrote about this. If yes. You just wrote about how running back contracts are never going to work, right? Yeah. Second. At the end of 2020, his fourth year is up. You have to pick up his fifth-year option. It's going to be big money. And then he hits free agency. If this is a two-, three-, four-year rebuild in Carolina, is Christian McCaffrey a part of it? Uh, so here's the thing, right? Every, when you write a piece like that, that's like, hey, running backs are never worth giving a second contract to. Everyone's like, well, what about, and what about uh, this guy? Like, everyone's looking for the exception, right? You're like, well, it's kind of the point, right? Stop looking for the exceptions. It reminds me, let's, this is a topical thing these days, Steve. It reminds me of that medical aphorism, right, where when you hear hoof, hoof beats, think horses, not zebras, right? It's the same idea, right? Yes, there might be an exception out there somewhere, right? Somewhere there is a unicorn that changes all these dynamics and, a, you know, is worth paying the big money to. But stop looking for it because it probably isn't the guy you think it is, right? And that's, I think, where I would be with McCaffrey, right? McCaffrey might change the dynamic slightly because he's a phenomenal receiver. Um, but, I, again, it's, it's 
there's an element of the Isaiah Simmons stuff to it where in order to get the most value out of Christian McCaffrey, you have to deploy him in a way I don't think teams are prepared to deploy him, right? You actually need – if I if there is a gap in market efficiency with running backs and pass-catching running backs, it is, it is causing defenses match-up problems on a, on a regular basis with those guys. So – you know, everyone, when you one of the things thrown back is, well, what about the pass-catching running backs? You, the pass game is more valuable than the run game, so pass-catching running backs you should give second contracts to. Austin Eckler, um, James White, McCaffrey. The, the problem is is that when you start looking into that, and uh, Ben Baldwin from The Athletic has done this research, right? Running backs, targets to running backs are less valuable than targets to receivers or tight ends. Even when running backs are running, White receiver and tight end routes that they're less efficient at catching them because they're running backs, right? They're not as good as re- at receiver as those other guys. So the value might be there in theory, but the guy needs to be good enough for it to actually make a difference. McCaffrey might be one guy who is good enough to make that happen, but you need to what you need to do in order to maximize that is to effectively make him a dual position player and say you are half a wide receiver and half a running back, and we will decide on a play-to-play basis which one you're playing because that is where you start to cause a defense a problem every single snap because now Uh, they have to look at him in the huddle and say, well, what the hell is this? Is this 11 personnel? Is this 12 personnel? What are we looking at here? I've always thought that the receiver that can take running back carries and Aaron Hernandez used to do this at tight end slash wide receiver, and then he would – Go into the backfield and take a carry like yeah. that breaks defenses. Yes, the so if you made McCaffrey a wide receiver who sometimes took backfield carries, yeah. After the defense starts treating him like a wide receiver, then the whole point of the run game being efficient that we say is it's box count and mismatches right. and sk- that actually dictates yep. the box count for you. The league started to do this with Aaron Hernandez and a couple other people. I thought that was where we were heading and then it pulled back. Uh, it was ran- like Ryan Switzer in Pittsburgh right. did it like it's I mean, random guys Hernandez too. Hernandez was was a real smart thing because initially you initially your tight end was a mismatch because he was a dominant blocker and a good receiver, right? So Gronk broke the league because he could block like a defense like an offensive tackle and be a great pass catcher. Hernandez wasn't a good blocker at all, right? So at some point, teams were like, well, let's start treating, let's just treat him like a wide receiver. Let's match him up with a DB and we're better. So then the Patriots went, oh, okay, let's force the same mismatch by actually giving him the ball, making him the running back. So now you, you force the same problem in terms of the DB is now outmatched by a blocker. And you know all this, though? So, but then you run the no huddle. And on the no huddle, it's like he's literally lined up at right. tight end one play, wide receiver the next play, running back the next play. And when you have a quarterback able to handle all of that, yes. then the guy who looks valuable is actually more valuable in part because, again, it always yeah. comes back to the quarterback. So there's like a couple of banks that I think could do this if teams embraced it. McCaffrey, um, Eckler is probably one of them. Ty Montgomery is another one who they almost did this and then right. they gave his job to somebody else. Um, but if you embrace that as an offense, the problem is I don't know if you can do that without essentially making that the focus of your offense. And if you do that, I don't know how effective. And then it is. then goes back to that point of you're is taking away, valuable? yeah, you're taking away the value of wide receivers so, or tight ends or whatever it is. In my mind, that's the that's the potential market efficiency of a way running backs could be worth 
big money in a second contract. But I don't know if that's even practically a better way of doing it than just lining up in 11 personnel and giving the ball to a random rookie contract. Here's the deal, though. His contract versus what Austin Eckler just signed for, like, I'm good with Austin Eckler's contract that they just signed. It was on the cheap. Yeah. And he has really been as valuable as he's a top three running back value over the last couple of years because of how unbelievable he's been in the in the past game. Yeah, and he and as a runner, he has been getting downfield targets. So his EPA on targets is one of the few players in terms of running backs that actually creeps up into where the top wide receivers are. So that makes sense. Now, whether you think that's sustainable is a different debate. But yes, Eckler at his contract, as opposed to McCaffrey, who's going to want Zeke money, is definitely a different conversation. Yeah, so so there we go. So well, we didn't achieve anything there, right? No, we did. They're rebuilding. Okay. Everywhere. So accumulate draft picks. Roll with the two quarterbacks that are going to get you yes. into So this year's tra- draft has to be treated the way the Dolphins did last year's so draft. So we're still, we're still throwing everything away at this point. Trade, trade Cam Newton. Trade for, everything away. Trade Cam for draft capital. Yes. Christian McCaffrey for draft capital. Trade down a million times in the draft. So you're sitting there a year from now, much like the Dolphins are, with a ton of draft capital, probably only a couple wins under your belt last year, and it's a complete overhaul. Okay, so effectively, us fixing the Panthers this season is to destroy them in the most comprehensive way possible. We never said we're fixing them for this season. We're just fixing them. Okay. Based off their current situation. So fixing the Panthers is we, we have to destroy to fix. This also coincides with Breeze eventually leaving the Saints in that division. Matt Ryan getting older. Like, this makes the most sense. We have to tear them down in order to build them back up. That's what we're doing in Carolina. We're tearing them down. Speaking of Matt Ryan and the Falcons, we got to fix Matt Ryan and the Falcons. Ugh. Um, and so, I, again, they were, I, I fixed the, t- the bottom ten offensive lines okay. in, the, in the piece. And they were a bottom ten offensive line. And the fix was just kind of like hope that they play better. <laughs> hope, hope that the young – like Chris Lindstrom played pretty well – only played about 300-something snaps. Caleb McGarry really struggled. We had him as more of a late second, early third-round talent that they grabbed in the first round. So I think immediately that was a risky move. But offensive linemen develop later. Yeah. So a part of this is just Lindstrom's going to play more, and he looks solid. And then you hope that McGarry, McGarry develops. Alex Mack's still good. Jake Matthews is still good. If you have three-fifths of your offensive line good, like you're in, you're, it's a decent enough starting spot. McGarry's got to creep back to an average, and then they have to figure out the right guards. Uh, yeah, left guard situation left guard. now. With, you know, yeah. Yearly issue over there in Atlanta. So that's the O-line. I think they like, kind of hope, hope and wait. I let Hooper walk yes. for the reasons we've said earlier. And I don't know. You still just have the pieces in place offensively to make things happen. As long as they give Matt Ryan a few more clean pockets per game, it's the defensive backfield. Again, like many of these other teams, it needs a lot of help. Defensive backfield, I think they could really use a slot receiver as well. Um, I kind of like, obviously, Julio Jones spectacular. I think Ridley is versatile. I think he can move around inside and outside. I like a guy that can be a pure sort of slot guy in their 11 personnel groups, their three wide situations. Um, I don't know that there's a ton of those in free agency. Like a Randall Cobb type. Does he have enough left to exactly. be productive there? So the guy that's kind of intriguing to me in terms of, again, re- reclamation projects or cheaper options is Nelson Aguilar. I know we talked before about it's it's been one year, right, of right. decent play, but it was one year where they moved into the slot. and they at least I think now, whether you think Aguilar can be saved or not, I think there's a very defined template on what he is, right, which is a slot receiver who can do some of the underneath trick stuff, the the, the shallow drags, the um, jet motions, all that kind of thing. Can kind of you know run the ball a little bit with those extended handoffs. 
But I think he can be a legit slot uh, option, particularly when you've got other quality receivers outside of him. So I kind of like somebody taking a flyer on an Aguilar. I think he would be pretty cheap given how badly things started to unravel in Philadelphia for him. Not uh, a bad thought there. I'd go, I, I would like that for them. And then obviously you look to the draft for the defensive, uh, the, the defense. So uh, as far as picks go, number six, they have 16 overall. They've got two second rounders and a third rounder. So as far as days one and two, they've got a decent haul there, um, the Falcons. They're another team. They're middle of the first round. That might that'll match up with an uh, our board, uh, C.J. Henderson from Florida. If you're looking at a corner, um, a Christian Fulton from LSU. Again, if you're looking at corner, do they go edge rusher again? They seem to grab a lot of first round edge rushers from Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley in recent years. Is that an A.J. Epinesa place, or is that too high for him? I mean, they're not in a great spot as far as I think matching the value there. No, I agree. Um, I, it is a rough spot. I think they do need to take another swing at edge rusher, though. It's kind of you're in. It's it must be very disheartening for teams that have thrown a lot of resources at a certain position and find themselves still needing it there. And the solution to still needing it is to do exactly what you just did multiple times and failed. So I think disheartening. Really, I've said this about the Falcons before. I think it sums up their roster. Right? They're sitting there in 2016. They go to the Super Bowl. Fantastic. 17. They still had a really good roster and underachieved. 18 and 19 still had a good roster and underachieved. But going into, like, after 18, their offensive line, which was not a weakness for, like, three years, all of a sudden is they have to just fix it. And they fixed it in the draft to the detriment of all these other positions we're talking about. Because they had to put immediate resources into an O-line that they didn't have issues with previously other than a position or two, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, where are my defensive backs? Where are my edge rushes? We haven't been able to, you know, replenish on defense. Guy that I kind of liked but had a really rough 2019 was Bryce Hall from Virginia. Um, I think he is sort of scheme specific. At fit the what they do. Yeah, yeah. I think he would fit what they do. I think he also gives you – so he's scheme specific but in a kind of weird way, right? Like he's either a really good off-zone corner or press which is a strange combination, right? Because that's it. Those yeah. two. He, so anything sort of anything that's like man, but not press, we have problems. And anything that's like shorter zone stuff, problems. But in that scheme, I think he's really nice, and I think that fits a lot what they want to do. Because you know, if you think about what Richard Sherman does, he's up in press a lot, but a huge amount of it is then bailing to a deep third, right? So he's up getting aggressive in a guy's face, can cover sort of immediate routes, you know, the, the immediate slant or he can sort of give you that look and then bail into that deep third and cover that with his with his ball skills. So um, Hall had a fantastic grade in 2018. Uh, I think he was our number two graded corner. Yeah, 90 plus grade. That yep. year. 2019 was ugly. But I think and, this, and injured, injured right. and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, ugly across the board, right? right? Every conceivable way. But I think he's a guy that because of that is going to slip and potentially is a perfect scheme fit for a team like the the Falcons. I don't know. I don't know. I've purposely not known where the NFL feels about some of these guys, the Trevon Diggs and Jalen Johnsons of the world. Yeah. I feel like we might be higher on them just because of the positional value aspect. And a lot of these guys will be available in the second. I think of the, if the corners, if the Falcons come away with two corners in their first three picks, a first, a second, and a second, I wouldn't, wouldn't hate that as a strategy. Double up at the position. If you're Atlanta, there we go. Fixed ish. Yes. For Atlanta. Okay. They're not that bad. They got Matt Ryan and weapons. It should be okay. Tampa Bay Bucks. Where are the Bucks going to go? 
So there's rumors that they're all in on Tom Brady. I don't get that at all. So there's two, there's I don't know if I'm just too skeptical of change for an older quarterback like that. But if the, if I'm gonna change Tom Brady, I probably don't want to put him in Bruce Arians' system where I don't see Arians changing. Arians never change. That's key, right? So, and or the Gruden thing that I've mentioned before, which was more the terminology aspect of things. Like that, yeah. But um, that does matter. Terminology and play calling style and all that stuff. If you go to a stubborn play caller or head coach, I don't think that's going to fit what Brady wants to do at this point in his career where he knows exactly what he needs to do yeah. to succeed. So forget Brady for the minute, right? Just just confine yourself to Arians. You're right. I don't think Arians is going to change his scheme regardless of the quarterback that comes in, right? Which means you are now looking at a very specific style of quarterback that should work in this offense. And the most obvious quarterback that should work in this offense is Jameis Winston. And the idea that Bruce Arians seems to want no freaking part of that, despite the fact that he's heading into year two of this, which is where he would typically get the boost in, you know, aligning all of these things and getting everything to play better than it's ever done before, that he doesn't seem to want to do that speaks volumes to me, right? But, so it's Jameis who's the most obvious fit to me. After that, like, who are the other quarterbacks that even make sense in this kind of scheme? It's like Tannehill if the Titans let him go, or who else? That's it. Well, Justin. Well, I mean, if they get into the draft, so then it's Justin Herbert, draft, right? Jordan Love. It's guys that inherently are more risky. Yes, I would. All of like so. All, basically, what I'm saying is that almost every single one of the perceived top options, right? In a, in quotation marks, whether it's free agency or the draft, all of the top options would appear to be fairly fundamental, bad schematic fits for what Bruce Arians wants to do. And yet he doesn't want the only one that seems to be a natural connection, or at least has made no indication that he wants it. I, I would you can franchise Jameis, right? You can. I just, my point is I don't know that they – they don't appear to want to. I think I would, I would franchise him. Because they've been talking about franchising Shaq Barrett because you don't let sack leaders walk away. Is that just a negotiation ploy? Like, no, I think no. it's genuinely he had 20 sacks, so we're not letting him leave the building. So – this is different from, like, when I was saying, hey, the Trubisky thing. Like, you can find Jameis Winston's and Marcus Mariota's all over the NFL these days. To your point, Jameis is the fit. Yes. Right? You can – I wrote the article a few years ago. We've been talking about – a few months ago, and we've talked about this for years, right? Was the third, there was a third quarterback I thought was a good fit. I tweeted about this the other day. You keep talking. I'll Sorry. Jam- like, Jameis doesn't have to change as a player, and he could still have the – the high-end season. He could still have a top-10 season. Even if he doesn't change as a player, he keeps his normal, volatile style. Cam. Cam Newton. Cam Newton's would the only be, other guy that makes any sense. And you'd have I mean, to trade for that within the division. I mean, depending on what Cam's mobility is these days, he's Jameis Winston. Yes. There's not much difference. No, he's not exactly Jameis Winston. He will... Stylistically, they are... Stylistically, as in he'll, he'll chuck it down the field. Yeah. He'll miss throws. He will not turn it over as much as Jameis. He actually and might I could, be the best... Tech, the best yeah. fit for that. But can you convince the Panthers to trade it to you within the division? I don't know. I'm, I'm going I'm to be writing about this actually for um, for tomorrow. It, it's like, what do you do with the quarterback as, just from like an average depth of target standpoint? Like, do you tell him to be more aggressive or less aggressive? The Panthers tried to make Cam less aggressive, and we've always been, don't do that. You know, say, don't do that. Yeah. Right? If he went here, probably turns the ball over a little bit less than Jameis. And could, you know, chuck it up to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and let those guys make plays and all that stuff. But Jameis is kind of the best fit. And if he just has the best, if he just has the same type of year, a couple dropped interceptions here and there, a little bit more luck, you can stumble into it. Now, you could stumble into a bad year, too. 
the range of outcomes is wide, but I'd give it one more shot while drafting the next guy. That's yeah, what I would do look, if I'm the boss. I, I mean, I, because the other options are so such a terrible fit. Like, I think Brady in that offense is, is not a good fit. I think Rivers in that offense is a disaster. I think Teddy is a disaster. I just – they don't work. I, I don't see how you can come away with it without getting Jameis back. It's just they, they really don't seem to want to do it. With the Shaq Barrett thing, too, if teams could really take the high level, the 30,000-foot view of this, right – you sign, Jack, you, sh- you sign Shaq Barrett, get some not really nice production out of him, and then you let him walk and get whatever compensatory pick comes. Like that, uh, that entire signing as a whole becomes valuable, right? If they end up lo- you know, locking him up for $18, $20 million a year, it's immediately not valuable. I mean, because yeah. he's, he's, he's destined to regress and not live up to that money. But if you can treat each signing in this vacuum— and say, what did we give up for him? What did we get out of him? And what did we get when he left? He could be a really valuable piece for this franchise. It's just uncomfortable because it's like, oh, we just lost 20 sacks. I mean, I will say that they might be in the same spot as the Giants that we talked about before, where it's, okay, Shaq Barrett will never justify a monster contract if you sign him to one. On the other hand, he is and always has been a consistently good pass rusher, and the Bucks have a ton of cap space to play with. Maybe they're a team that can say, all right, let's live with the fact that we're going to overpay this guy to secure a certain good player as an edge rusher. Because, you know, they spent, what, the guts of a decade trying to put good edge rushers next to um, next to Gerald McCoy and couldn't. So maybe they say, screw it, let's overpay and make sure we don't let a good one leave the building. I Look, I it's always tough to know that you're overpaying for something, but sometimes it might be worth doing. So for that perspective, I can see them. I, I wouldn't hate the move necessarily. It's like you're making the – we've like reversed roles here from last podcast. I was like, I'll overpay for these franchise tag guys. Whatever. Yeah. So I'd roll with Jameis one more year on the, the franchise. Let Shaq walk. I like what they've done in the secondary. Um, just continue to add playmakers, though, receivers and corners. I mean, maybe if you could get Jameis on the franchise, franchise tag – Jameis on a franchise, yeah. But Jameis on the franchise tag and long term lock up Shaquille Barrett for an overpaid contract. Maybe you front load it like it's so it's a get out deal later on. And then my favorite free agent signing, Chris Harris. Yeah, you love right. That. Chris Harris to the Bucks. It's a pair with Carlton Davis and um, what's his face? What's his face? Jamel Dean. Offensive line. Two big Auburn in the course. draft. Yeah. You so gotta, you got to replace Demar Dotson. Um, I would try to bring Dotson back on the cheap. That'd be. You, I mean, you could do that, but I don't think great. he's been playing as well as he did earlier in his career. Plus, Donovan right. Smith still kind of, you know. Might uh, Matt Peart, Peart or Peart from uh, UConn, uh-huh. my favorite developmental tackle prospect. Only played the game for a few years. Has all the size and physical tools. Really productive at UConn. That's a guy I want. Like late day two and into day, uh, day three. All right, Bucks fixed. Bucks fixed. Uh, see how let's get on to the NFC West. We're finally on to the West. How long have we been going? Oh, way too long. We're efficient today. Ish. Seattle Seahawks. I fixed their offensive line, but I did it differently. Uh-oh. Everyone else, I was like, here's how you here's what you would spend on day one. I think they're more in that developmental O line role. One of the things I suggested was letting Jamarco Jones, who struggled at guard last year, but was pretty good at Ohio State at tackle, mm-hmm. I'd give him a, sh- a shot at, at right tackle. At least initially. Maybe not roll into the season as your only option, but I think he's an option, potentially at tackle. Wasn't as great of a fit at guard. 
Dwayne Brown has been so much better than yeah. the rest of their linemen. I was tweeting that out. He has he has an 82 grade since he's joined the Seahawks. Yeah. No other line. Every other lineman's between 41 and like 65. So Dwayne Brown is like the epitome of like one guy can help you creep back toward average. Yeah. I mean, he changed everything immediately the second they acquired him. Yes. Yes. So they still did. need offensive linemen and always have. Yeah, I just don't know if they're going to spend big resources there. I really think they're sitting there like, man, we we can deal with a lesser line. Plus, Russell Wilson's going to make anybody we have look a little bit worse. I think they're a team that, you know, the way the Patriots, other than Nikhil Harry, don't draft receivers in the first round. The, the Seahawks feel to me like a team that's always going to go after the offensive line from the second onwards, right? So yeah. It just feels, it's almost like, you know, if you've got this one marquee, thing you know thing to snag do you want to spend it in offensive lineman it's just it's just not exciting well they're also picking in the back end of the first round and usually yeah. the top tackles in the first end Dwayne Brown is actually one of the examples of a guy that back half of the first was a pretty good player sure. not from them but um they bring Greg Olson in a tight end which yeah. I think is worth a gamble there sure their group of playmakers isn't looking so bad knowing Fine. now what we know about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett again every other team I've got questions about corner but then if you look at their defensive front... Edge rusher. Right? Clowney's a free agent. Jaron Reed, off-field issues, plus free agent. Ziggy Ansah, free agent. And, yes, that's a place that they need to attack. They did draft last year in the first round LJ Collier, a surprise first-round pick. Got nothing out of him in 2019. Are they going to attack the edge well once again when it comes to free agency or the draft? I, yeah, I think they should probably do both, to be honest. Um, again, we've talked edge rusher is not. It's this weird spot in free agency. The one that I would target is Eric Armstead, though the other one, so a lot of this is just what you're willing to spend, right? Robert what Quinn. they're going to get. Robert Quinn would be interesting. I don't know that I don't know if Dallas will let him go. The other guy that I think could be a really interesting fit for Seattle is Yannick Ngakwe because the, this defense changed fundamentally when Cliff Averill declined and left right yeah they, when they lost the true pure no other responsibilities edge rusher speed rusher things changed and they haven't really had that since you give Ngakwe license to just get after the quarterback and forget about everything else and you know try and patch things up around him you might be cooking again Ooh, that would be a nice fit um i'm looking at but how much is he going to cost that's the problem right I'm looking at draft prospects. Caleb on chase on from LSU. Everybody's talking about him top half of the first round yeah. um, because he's just freaky on tape. Like he looks incredible, but just production wise, not there. If we were going by our board, he's a guy I would like maybe back into the first for Seattle. It doesn't seem like he'll be there. Uh, Gross Matos from uh, Penn state though, I think could be a, a potentially good fit. It reminds me a little bit of Jason Pierre Paul as a guy who's just a, a solid run defender who can get after the quarterback a little bit. Not exciting, but as far as like, hey, we got to, this is, this depth chart does need to be rounded out. So, so they, hopefully they fill some of those spots in free agency so you don't go into the draft uh, with too many of those needs. It's a great name. Gross Matos. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, Shaquille Griffin? He's been up and down at corner. Trey Flowers is a big question mark. Another team that I, I don't feel good about their cornerback situation. And so, they were rolling out, they weren't rolling uh, nickel coverage out there a whole lot, so they weren't. They, really they, they didn't love their corner situation either. Well, yeah, they've been talking about having an actual defensive back as nickel now, so that might change. Um, but who? So Seattle has a very specific type of cornerback, right? The long length guy. They don't even look at people with arms shorter than thirty-two inches, etc. Who, in your eyes, in the draft class, is the best Seattle corner? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are in that. Don't confine yourself to corners because they can often be looking at safeties to move to corners. Well, I was watching when I was watching Xavier McKinney from Bama the other day. I had to. He ran a four six three, so he's he's probably out of that mix. But I was right. watching him, and his footwork is spectacular. And I was thinking teams might look at him and say, okay, he's a he's a, a corner potentially. Cam Dantzler didn't have the arm length we expected, right? At six foot two, Bryce Hall, who you mentioned before, probably fits. Uh, probably fits that bill. Do they still only want these long corners, though? I think so. AJ Terrell from uh, Clemson potentially as well. I would say six foot one, one ninety. But um, I don't really care what their fit is. They need to start. <laughs> they need to expand and just get guys who cover well, no matter what yeah, it is. True, but they, I mean, if they're not going to, there's no point. In, you know, you need to do this. Yeah, I mean, Trevon yeah, I mean, Diggs. Trevon Diggs probably fits perfectly, right? So Alabama, Trevon Diggs, we've, we've already matched him with six other teams. But Diggs would be number one, I would say, if you're trying to match a Seattle corner. But it's just you said they don't take old linemen in the first round. They're not taking corners in the first round either. Well, at some point, you got to do something. How much do teams – this is a whole different podcast as well. How much do teams look at their history and either – do they just say, hey, we found a Richard Sherman before? We found Brandon Browner and made him good. We found Byron Maxwell before and made him. Therefore, that, we can do that. Therefore, we don't need to spend on a player. Kind of like the Patriots saying, why, I've never spent. Belichick's never spent a first-round wide receiver, and I've got the best quarterback of all time. I've had, I have the best passing game of all time, and I've never drafted a first-round round wide receiver. Seattle's had a great pass defense for multiple years without spending on a first-round corner. How much do teams look at that and say, here's our history, we're going to repeat history. I think there's probably a lot of it. You, but, get, you get sucked into what you think you can do. Yeah, it's, it's risky. Seattle's, Seattle's roster has depleted over the last three years. Yeah. And they need, to, they need to fix it. And we just fixed it with a whole bunch of hypotheticals. San Francisco 49ers. How do the Niners get back to the Super Bowl? Uh, they, if they could get Jimmy Garoppolo playing better in 2020 than he did in 2019, which is not crazy because he didn't yeah you know, i don't think he played that well last year he was a top six to eight quarterback in a six seven game stretch right whatever that was how many how many games did he play in 2017 right small sample size he played extremely well but he's still probably just this he's the middle tier guy right yeah i mean i suspect inevitably the team overall will regress but there's potential for them to get all of that back if jimmy garoppolo takes a step forward so that would be like you know job one is hope and pray that he plays better next year so that's it. Just hope and pray. It's not a huge amount of action items from that one, but uh, that would be my primary uh, primary plan. Continue to uh, evolve that offense. I mean, last year at this time, we said, okay, they need corners and they need edge rushers, right? Yeah. They attacked the edge rush position with Nick Bosa and D Ford, and they did show when you have Bosa, Ford, Armstead, Buckner, Solomon Thomas, whoever it is, like you've got a bunch of guys who can get after it. That is a challenge for opposing offenses. And they just trusted their cornerback situation. Now, they're a team that's going to look at it and say, hey, Akilah Witherspoon was struggling, but we made Emmanuel Mosley into a guy. Yeah. But this is still another team. I would throw more resources there. They have to replace a Jimmy Ward at safety. Yep. I think Ashton Davis out of Cal is a really fun player that would fit well there. So, you know, they've got a couple holes there. They cannot – here's what they can't do. Can't fall into the lull. Of these other teams that have been good in recent years, the Jaguars lost in the AFC Championship. The Bears had that great team. And looking at the roster and saying, hey, it's a good roster. We only have a couple holes to fill. Fill those holes. Continue to fill with premier 
positions and anticipate that premier positions are going to either leave or become too expensive in a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think they're also in a spot where there's yeah, they're good, but they can upgrade in a lot of areas in terms of just getting better talent. Like, look, the interior of their offensive line is a combination of guys that are not very good, right? Now, they play well because that scheme protects them and they don't, you know, they're not asked to do as much in certain areas as some other teams are. But again, it's it's like what we've talked about before. The scheme is helping them out a huge amount. So what happens when you upgrade the talent within a scheme that's that's friendly for that position? So if they stumble upon an interior offensive lineman, it's suddenly a massive upgrade. Jump all over that. You know what I forgot to do earlier? What did you forget to do earlier? Tell you about our friends over at Manscaped. Oh, yes. We are overhauling every NFC team. We are. You can overhaul your balls. Overhaul your balls. With Manscaped. If you're listening to this podcast right now, look down. Try to remember the last time you shaved your junk. It's been a while, and that's why you need Manscaped. How's that? That's impressive. You, you don't often hear the I don't know that I've ever heard the phrase, overhaul your balls. That's what we're doing. We're fixing every NFL team. You could fix your balls with Manscaped. <laughs> perfect Package 3.0. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with the Perfect Package 3.0. Essentials Kit. It's the perfect tool for your family jewels. Everybody stop laughing off camera here. Can we get some professionals here? Is there anybody professional here? No, there's not. No, there's not. I'm not going to do like the fake Berman rant. Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine, Sam. Hmm. It's a whole routine. Just like you're in the offseason, you got to build through free agency. you got to build through the draft you got to use the Perfect Package 3.0, the entire kit. The third-generation trimmer comes with cutting-edge ceramic blades to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to go nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. That was a masterstroke of, of re. It was impressive. Am I doing well? I, that was phenomenal. I've never heard a segue like that. Here's the thing. We love Manscaped. They're our friends. We hope you love them, too. We know that you'll love them, too. When you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit... You will get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers get a new replacement blade to refill your lawnmower trimmer. And it goes comes to your door every three months. So you'll always have a fresh blade. Hmm. That's important. And then you got the uh, two free gifts, the shed travel bag that Sam loves and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping, promo codes PFF, manscapes.com. Don't forget to go do it right now. Don't Pause the show. Do it right now. Pause the show. Go do it right now. Your partner, your body, and your balls will all thank you. 20% off, PFF is the promo code, manscapes.com. Wow. We're we, fixing everything. We, the reads are getting so good that people are signing off emails with things like, what was it, keep it trimmed, keep them trimmed? Yes. I think people are buying in. People are buying the perfect package 3.0 and they're buying in well as long as they are buying the perfect package because we need them to keep buying so that we can keep doing the reads yeah if you don't buy the thing the reads go away we're all winners here we have to start advertising lysol or whatever it is let's wrap up the 49ers here okay um offensive line depth i think would be great i think um they're potentially one of those teams in the mix uh jonah jackson's our top guard in the draft damian lewis guard from lsu Either of those guys, especially Jackson, I think if they're if they're looking at you know Lakin Tomlinson and Mike Person, the two guys listed as right. as starters and upgrades there, Jonah Jackson would be a really nice fit out of Ohio State. 
do you really try to replace it? They're losing Eric Armstead up front, too. They got a ton of value. Are they going to look at this offseason and say, we need four guys, right? We had four guys who could rush the passer, and that's why we had success. We need to replace that. Yeah, I mean, again, you think you're set there. The, this worked because you had a guy like that creating a ton of pressure in addition to everybody else. So, yeah, keep rolling. Um, the other guy for the interior of the offensive line that I think feels like someone that could come in and immediately contribute is Tyler Biadish from Wisconsin. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right? Great call. He feels like he could plug right into that and immediately just be a 10-year starter on that kind of in that Don't kind of system. No, great fit though. 10-year starter. Don't give me the 10-year starter. starter. Every center is a 10-year starter. 10-year starter. Don't give me that. They're, they're rumored I, is it to time to bring up my favorite ever draft aphorism. I don't know. About uh, I've told you this before, right? The greatest description I've ever heard of a player was he's going to start in this league for 10 years, but you'll be mad at him every day of those 10 years. And it, honestly, it was almost absolutely dead on because it was Alex Barron who made it like nine years before they finally got sick of him and got rid of him. Do people like hear themselves talk? Do they actually hear themselves? How perfect a description is that of Alex Barron, though? Themselves. Yeah, it's great. Playing the league for 10 years, people be mad at him every day of those 10 years. But just like you have a choice in these other situations here, like you have a choice not to start a guy that's not good. Yeah. You don't have to start a guy that you're going to be mad at that's not good. But it's like, the you know, you, you're constantly chasing the idea that he should be better than he is. Yeah. And it takes you 10 years to finally give up on the fact that it's not happening. <sighs> so bad. All right, two more teams to round it out. Arizona Cardinals. We loved their draft last year. I don't think that they got the immediate returns to, to prove us right in that respect, right? True. I mean, so Kyler was fine. Yep. I think he showed... The, the star potential um, was, was had a pretty good rookie season, so happy with that. We we had high expectations for Andy Isabella, um, potentially for Hakeem Butler, who they got in the fourth round. Uh, Byron Murphy was a bit of a disappointment as a rookie. Are those guys now? Not every rookie hits the ground running. Jalen Thompson, the the safety. Are they going to get these guys? Sorry, Deontay Thompson. Are these guys going to get back on track and make the 2019 draft class look even better? I mean, I think receiver is the big problem, right? Because so you've got the quarterback. You're you're in the same situation as the Browns were a season ago, thinking they had the sure thing franchise quarterback. Now you've got to build around him quickly. Um, Larry Fitzgerald is still their best receiver by a distance. Larry Fitzgerald is like 127 years old. It's time to find somebody else who can make an impact. Maybe that's Andy Isabella year two. Maybe it's Akeem Butler coming back from being injured. On the other hand, you don't know that, so you probably need to throw some resources at this because it's not Christian Kirk, really. It's not uh, Trent Shurfield. Like it's, it's nobody else in that roster, right? So maybe it's the two guys from a season ago, but you can't have seen enough from either of those two guys to be sure of that in, a, in an extremely wide receiver-rich draft class. So they should definitely be shopping for wide receiver early in this, in this group. Who's the best fit for these guys? I mean, so when you look at Kyler Murray in his passing map, it's very outside the numbers driven. Now, is that Kyler Murray or is that Kingsbury's scheme? The knock on the shorter quarterbacks over time has been, oh, they can't, they can't see over the middle. They can't throw over the middle. I think a guy like Baker's pretty good at it. Kyler never really was great at it at Oklahoma. It was never really a part of his game. And you can tell he's not as comfortable doing it. So do you want a guy like Ruggs to be the outside guy. Like, C.D. Lamb feels like the guy that's going to win all over the field more than, say, a Jerry Judy or a Henry Ruggs, for instance, in my, in my mind. I think he can win in more places. He also has that connection with Kyler Murray. Or do you, do you say Judy's going to win more on the outside and in the slot? 
Ruggs is going to win a little bit more on the outside. They're a better fit than the guy like Lamb, who I think could win maybe in a few more different places. I mean, I think being able to win everywhere is never going to be a bad thing. So I think I don't I don't know that they can go wrong with the group of receivers at the top end of the draft. I think they they are all pretty spectacular at different things. Um, but I don't know that any of them are inherently bad fits with what the Cardinals want to do. I think they all function somewhere in this offense. And as I just said, like it's not like we've got these two positions nailed. We need the third specific role, right? You can plug anybody into this offense and it'd be an obvious upgrade, particularly with the fact that Larry Fitzgerald has got some kind of flexibility in terms of what he can do. So he can be the guy that moves if you get somebody that takes a specific spot. So pick your favorite, you know, pick who's available. The best receiver available when you're drafting is the guy you should be going after. You know, number eight, you might get the pick of all of them. If you get the pick of all of them, Pick your favorite. If it's CeeDee Lamb, who you think is the best guy, grab him. If it's Jerry Judy, you think is the best guy, grab him. Lamb and Murray being back together would be interesting. Right. I mean, that's the obvious connection, right, is that I think Murray's already been lobbying for that to happen. So right. if he's sitting there when you drafted eight, even just for the sake of keeping your quarterback happy, it's not a bad pick. I think that's where the value is going to match up pretty well Yeah, is receiver. I would be fascinated by Ruggs and Isabella potentially being on the field at the same time. If they use Isabella right— they won't. On the outside, but just the, the type of speed, Christian Kirk, the type of speed that they could put on the field, plus uh, old man Larry. Uh, old man Larry. Look, I, so I think, yes, weapons for Kyler Murray. Offensive line is still not great. It did get better with the scheme as we uh, anticipated, but, you know, I think, you know, tackle's a place that they could look. Maybe, I, I, again, I always use the Josh Jones Houston example. If he ends up becoming like an early second round pick, I think that's a potential steal. Yeah, they're bank with they're bank. They're like the Giants, right? Everything is a hole almost. They they really don't have many spaces where you look at and say, no, they're set there. You don't need to worry about that. So pick the best player available. I think for them in particular, because they have the quarterback and that receiving core, receiver is the obvious first step. But frankly, whatever you think is the best player available all the way down the draft, keep hammering because— At a position of value. Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's where you start. But you don't, there's no player—there's no position where you, you can't be upgraded upon fairly comfortably. So just pick the best players? Yes. Draft good players, Steve. Draft good players. Do you see any free agent wide receivers that you like as a as a fit? Does uh, your boy Emmanuel Sanders fit here as well? Does Robbie Anderson fit here as another stretch the field type of guy? I know there's rumors about him going back with the Jets, but like, where do the free agents potentially fit in here? I mean, I think Emmanuel Sanders fits anywhere, but it's a shorter term deal, and you already have Larry Fitzgerald as your shorter term option. So I right. just don't know. That's a great fit. Robbie Anderson is one of the best deep threats in the NFL consistently, and has been doing it without very good quarterback play so i'd be very intrigued to see what happens when you team him with a kyla murray who's got a great deep pass who's got a higher see or higher level than some of the quarterbacks that have been throwing his way i'd be all for that i'm also i'm i'm perennially intrigued by brashad perriman this free agent group i just think given what we saw at the ass end of last year became the starter had three back-to-back hundred yard games didn't drop a pass in that scenario made a few circus catches like if you would, if all you saw of his NFL career so far was those three games, you would think he was the first round pick that he was, and that the middle bit didn't happen, right? It was like first round talent. He's a quality Pro Bowl level receiver. Every, that's exactly as it should be. Whereas the inter intermeaning or intermediate area was disaster, and he's on his fourth team now when he gets to this next one. So. I think, you know, just the connection of the two things on either end. We had this talent baseline. We just saw what he could be in the NFL. 
let's try and connect those two, I think that's worth a roll, a roll of the dice for somebody. I like it. And then maybe that gives you some flexibility to not have to force a wide receiver at the, you know, in the draft, even though, again, the value should match up. There you go, Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Los Angeles Rams. There's two or three teams around the league that are in this similar situation, right? Have had some good years, and you want to go into the offseason and say, okay, let's, let's get better. And they're not in a great position to get better, either from a cap space standpoint or from a draft capital standpoint. They will not pick until, until the 20th pick of round two. So no first-round pick because of the very Ramsey move to trade for Jalen. Right. But, of course, they have uh, some new horrible logos, so they're set. Yeah, I don't want to talk about their terrible logo. That was, that's an embarrassment. It really is abysmal. really looks bad. Um, but, you know, so are they similar to the Saints, the Texans? So let me compare them to the Saints. If you just look at the roster, it's like, okay, Goff's their capable quarterback, right? Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, that's who he's throwing to next year. You have Jalen Ramsey in the defensive backfield. Your boy Troy Hill is back. You still have Aaron Donald up front. Like, all right, so you have all these pieces in place. You have the great Todd Gurley. you just like, all right, we're going to roll out there and hope that things go a little bit better this year because, you know, two years ago, similar team made it to a Super Bowl. Yeah. The roster's not that different from the Super Bowl team. It's not. I think the dynamic is very different, though. I agree uh, the dynamic's different. Their offensive line has also become garbage in that period of time, which is a problem. Yeah, that's so a big concern. Now you're going to lose Andrew Whitworth, presumably, unless you bring him back. Um, Whitworth is the only guy last year that held his head above water on that line. And even Whitworth is, looks like he started to decline to the point where you've got to be concerned about his future. Can we put this in perspective real quick? We had the Rams as the number 31 offensive line last year. Yeah, it was awful. Out of 32. <laughs> but worse than the Bengals, who we trash here all the time. Yep. The Chargers, trash here all the time. The Jets. Yep. The Seahawks. The Jaguars, the Bears. I mean, so all these teams that, like, we are, like, offensive line's an issue. Offensive last line's year, an issue. And the Rams were worse than them We said year. this all last year, that last year featured, like, five of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen in the same season. It was insane. Um, so, yeah, the Rams' offensive line is a complete disaster. Rob Havenstein, I don't know what he is. Like, he went from being one of the best right tackles in the NFL to the one of the worst in a heartbeat with no explanation of what the hell happened. So if you're like game, if you're planning for 2020, what is he? Is he our starter at right tackle who we're happy with? Is he a guy we need to immediately upgrade upon because he was awful? Like what? I don't even know. This is the, the, the this is what I just wrote about, right? Regressed unexpectedly after four strong seasons to start his career, and all of a sudden he was terrible. I mean, part of their offseason hope is to hope. Like, yeah. just kind of hope he gets back, right? Okay, you have to replace Andrew Whitworth. They don't have the first-round pick to do it, so all those top tackles will be off the board. I come back to UConn, Peart being a guy that is a nice developmental option. But if you're sitting there, if your first pick is, you know, a developmental tackle out of UConn in the <laughs> second round. It's not exciting. Right? It's not exciting. It's like, okay, this guy could be a starter. He played right tackle in college, so is there a transition to left tackle? There's a lot of question marks there, but I like him as a player for the wrong long-term rebuild. Brian Allen's... You know, maybe okay at center, but um, Biotish, I think, would be a really nice fit here, though, where he could play center or guard. Uh, Allen can play center or guard. You could kind of, like, mix and match where the best fits are there. But, again, this is just, like, trying to creep back toward average on the offensive line so you give Goff a chance and so you right. give your running backs a chance. And it's not a good—like, it's, it's an ugly time to be trying to do that in free agency if you look at what's available because, you know, do you either massively overpay for a Jack Conklin because he's the one sort of clean— 
prospect in terms of young, sure thing, plays well, no, no massive problems, right? Or do you try and get Andrew Whitworth back for one more year and know that it's like you're just buying time? Um, do you try and resuscitate the career of somebody, you know, lower down? Do you get a Brian Bulaga knowing that he'll probably be pretty solid, but the guy's got a fairly extensive injury history? And but is he going to replace Havenstein? Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Or like a guy like Vitae, right? It's like, well, he, he got a little bit better. It wasn't a complete disaster when he came in this time. Do we think that he can step in and creep back toward average? Like, it's not good. Not great situations. So I think, I think it's like re-sign Witt. Hope for Havenstein. I say his name differently every single time. Hope for him at right tackle. Um, if you if you draft a Biotish, say in the second round, not a bad selection there, right? Maybe in the third if you can if you can get him there. Okay, that's your O line. Now defensively, the eternal like who's going to rush the quarterback to help Aaron Donald? Dante Fowler's a free agent. Michael Brockers, I think you just let him walk mm-hmm. right at this point in today's NFL. But Corey Littleton has been one of the best coverage linebackers in a while. Yeah. And he goes from like, dude, he's a steal as a great coverage linebacker for nothing to now he's going he's gonna to break the bank somewhere. That's not going to be easy to replace. One last guy for the offensive line band-aid, always Stefan Wisniewski. Bring him in. He'll be better than what you have there yeah. right now, and he won't cost very much. So do that immediately. It's funny because I didn't mind the Austin Corbett trade. Pure. Like he had some, you know, he might still have some value, but Particularly he wasn't a great start. Like I thought he— You did like him. I at liked center. him at center. I don't think he was a guard, so I'm still not— completely sold on the idea that, that doesn't work they're going with but, the old that was what the seahawks did a few years ago just get a bunch of centers yes the uh four center offense. but i think for i think wisniewski is like a is an insurance policy and a band-aid right you bring him in even if he's only your sixth offensive lineman at the time you bring him in i guarantee you with this group by the end of training camp he'll be starting at one of your three interior positions and he'll be better than the guy he's replaced so do that Somebody said we're ignoring the fact that the Rams have no money. Yes, they, I know they don't. They have $19 million in cap space. That's bottom no eight. Money. It's, it's not no yeah. money. I mean, there's enough to— It's enough money to sign Stefan Wisniewski, yeah. for God's sake. Maybe re-sign Wid, and then you got to draft well with the limited picks that you have. Um, the Rams are not in a great spot no. for long-term team building, and they just essentially need some, uh, some things to go right. Yeah. Um, continue, you know, trade down, add some depth, and that's the strategy. And pray. Hope. Pray and hope, Rams. We pray and hope that you guys enjoyed our podcast, right? How, uh, how far over our five minutes, <laughs> five minutes a thing do we We go? went like seven or eight minutes per team. Okay. I, the poor first team, it's like, oh, we, we hit our five-minute mark like the first three times. Yeah, and then you win, we're out. And then we give everybody else more love. So if your team was at the end of the pod, we end up giving you more love. Or we're just less efficient. Either way. That's every team fixed this week. Monday what? and Thursday, both podcasts. AFC was Monday. NFC was today what else do we have? so next week um there's a, a lot of it's touch and go as of now the nfl saying that the um the if, league year is going to start yes right assuming that the league year starts on time yeah our goal is to maybe have a slightly later podcast on monday correct we'll record here on youtube live at like one o'clock or so but the youtube channel is going to be going right in theory of the week yes in theory with franchise tag deadlines extended and the opening of the legal tampering window, noon on a Monday is going to be insane, right? So we don't want to record this thing 9 a.m. and then everything we just told you is out of date by the time you even listen to it. So we'll, let, we'll, give, it, we'll give things an hour to, cook, to kick off. We'll come on the air live as things are going crazy and talk you through what's already happened. Then we'll be doing all kinds of crazy stuff on YouTube or on social media, et cetera, throughout the week. 
And then we'll be back as usual on Thursday. As our, as our but it might be a little like yeah, actually, that's, that's about a similar recording time. Right. Regular schedule programming, right. essentially. All right, so that's it. Stick with us. Um, everybody stay safe out there. Be smart. Wash your hands with soap. Or Lysol. Brought to you by Lysol. With soap. Really, I'm team, team soap. soap. I, mean, what the? I mean, just soap's better than sanitizer. <laughs> but it doesn't advertise itself as, like, kills all germs. Uh-huh. Like sanitizer does. Soap has a marketing problem right now. Soap has a mar- you're going to fix soap's marketing problem. Yeah, because every like sanitizers fall off the shelves left and right. Yeah. Because people think it's better than soap. And there's just aisles of bars of soap sitting there. Yes. Correct. People think it's better than soap. It's not. <laughs> it's it's a subpar product to soap. <laughs> it is. See somebody turn this freaking podcast off. I can't. Wrap it it's up. It's like listening to Mark Mitchell all over again. Can't deal with that. Soap kills germs. There we go. We're out. Please stop. Am stop I wrong? It now. 